So we've been in the book of James for the last three weeks, and uh, we're jumping into James chapter 3 today. Um, part of the reason why we're doing a book study is so that we can learn just some, um, some of the, read the Bible for one, just, you know, <laughs> that's always a good thing. Read the Bible and, and, and speak through a book and the different things that it handles and learn how to engage a book of the Bible and gain knowledge from that book to apply to our lives. James is the guy that wrote that if you don't apply the word of God, if you don't actually start living it out, you're just fooling yourself. Oh, by the way, before I go on, I want you to put your hand on your, on your heart here today. Just put your hand on your heart. Say this after me. I am welcome here. I want you to know that you are welcome here. It doesn't matter where you come from, what's happened. You are welcome here. You are welcome in the presence of God. There is endless amount of grace in the presence of God. And I don't want us to ever lose sight of that. Ever, ever, ever. It is too costly an error to lose sight of that. So you remember that you are welcome here, okay? Awesome. Today we're going to talk about two um, of the themes that have come out in James chapter 3 the tongue and wisdom and how they relate to one another. Our words are extremely powerful. Our words reveal the state of our hearts. And apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, um, our words will always do more harm than they do good. And we need God's wisdom to help us with our words. Amen. Let's jump into James chapter 3, verse 1 says to 8 says the following. We'll read a section and then we'll talk through it and then I'll continue. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble um, in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. See the link there between the tongue and the body. But if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look also at ships. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man, no human being, man and woman, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Thanks, babe. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James devotes almost an entire chapter to the tongue. 
and he creates a number of metaphors that speak to how the tongue affect our lives. And um, in amongst all of the warnings and the negative aspect of the tongue, a light shines through in what he's saying if you will learn how to read between the lines to give us hope as to how this little tool can be a not a, a tool of destruction, but a stool, uh, a, a stool, not a stool, a tool <laughs> of construction. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 12 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James gives us two warnings and in some instruction how to overcome these challenges that the tongue presents or the dangers that the tongue presents. And the first point he makes in these first couple of verses is that the tongue is powerful. The tongue has incredible power and it can be used for great evil. Therefore, he warns in verse 1 that we should not eagerly propel ourselves into places where we are declared, you know, where we become teachers. It's, it's almost an ominous warning to us who step into positions of teaching where, you know, there is a, a pending judgment that is going to take in consideration the things that we have taught. We need to understand that James is not saying here that we should not make disciples. Just be real, real clear about what he's not saying. What he's saying is that when you are in a place of influence, that you should be careful what you teach people. And let me just say this, that everybody is influencing people around them literally every day. The minute you share an opinion with somebody about something, you are in fact stepping into a brief moment of teaching them what you believe and what you see. And so it's not like he's saying, look, <laughs> you must never teach. In fact, he's almost saying that, you know, don't just assume that you, when teaching, can just say anything that you want. You have to be careful in when you are providing your opinion that that opinion is in fact true. And that that perspective that you're sharing about something is in fact backed by an authority greater than just you. Because if what you're sharing contradicts the greater authority, you will be held to account for what you have been sharing, what you have been teaching. And so for me, it's more rather an encouragement to us to make sure that our guidance that we give to people every single day, that we give to our children every single day, is lined up with Scripture because the nature of life is that we're all going to be influencing each other. James is not asking us to become disobedient to Jesus and stop trying to make disciples because there is a warning. No, he would never do that. But what he is saying is that you need to be careful what, you, what counsel you give to people. He goes on by giving these metaphors um, about, um, about the tongue. And he describes a tongue, uh, the, the mouth of a horse that gets fitted with a bit that then causes the horse's body to completely go where the rider wants it. The tongue is compared to a bit and also the rudder of a ship, which an incredibly huge vessel can be directed 
and can be steered with just a small comparatively element in the back of, of the bow. And in so a way, the tongue can also direct our lives. The tongue can determine the direction that we go in, and it can determine whether that direction is going to be a good direction or whether it's going to be a bad direction. How many of you have, in a heated moment, said something that you, right after it left your mouth, you were like, oh, I wish I could catch that and take it back? And that's the danger of whatever leaves our mouths is, is that you cannot take it back. Here's something we have to realize as creatures that was created by a God that used his word to create stuff. Is that in a lesser way, but in a very factual way, the minute words leave your mouth, they also create something. They either create a small amount of destruction or they create a small amount of positive building. When God's words leave his mouth, it happens. God has to be extremely careful <laughs> of what he says because his word carries innate creative power. But we've been created in his image, and as such, there is the danger that we, ha we, we share almost that same danger. We can create or we can break down with our words. And so it becomes very, very important for us to start learning how this organ here, this tool that we've been given here, works. And understanding the power of it makes us realize the responsibility we have in using it. The Bible says in James 3 verse 6 that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members and it stains the whole body, sets it on fire, sets on fire the entire course of our life that is set on fire by hell. How many of you have seen um, things said on social media or on text messages in just the last, couple, this, this last week that was literally a fire, a, 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 a world of unrighteousness being unleashed. It's almost like it's, like it's common occurrence these days. But we don't realize that whatever we type and communicate is just a small subset of the tongue. How many of you, when you read a text message from somebody, hears it in their tone of voice? <laughs> right? It's like when my wife texts me, I can hear that she's saying that to me. So whether I'm reading it or actually hearing it, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. Now, sometimes I hear it wrong, right? I interpret it wrong. That's why when I type, I always use those little, those little faces, you know? And they help people say, what I, you know, what, what kind of state of mind I am in when I'm saying this, you know? Because I can be telling someone, you know, shut up and go to breakfast. Um, and if I put a little crying smiley face next to it with some thumbs ups and some, oh, then they know, okay, I'm just kidding, right? But if I just put a period next to it, it's like, eh, maybe I forgot my caps lock on. <laughs> and it's all caps. I'm like, wait a minute. What, 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 what? We all communicate. That's my point. And communication doesn't just happen verbally. But whatever the 
communication, how it comes to you, if it comes from an individual that's sending it to you, you hear it as if it's their own tongue speaking it. So be mindful that this is not just about talking to people verbally. This is about every bit of communication that we send to people. You can break down or you can build up with your communication. How is your tongue going to be employed is the question here. Because it will create or it will break. As you see in this metaphor, there is the actual metaphor of the tongue, but then there's also the metaphor. It's like a, sometimes a missing metaphor that we don't talk about, but it's, it's, it's the who controls the bit and who steers the rudder. It's the ship's captain or the pilot, which by extension means that somebody is steering the tongue, Right? Somebody is using this tongue to determine direction, to determine outcome. And that controller or that user is actually responsible for how the tongue is used. So often... We don't really take responsibility of how we use our tongue. And we like to blame it often on things that happen around us and circumstances made me do this or, you know, pressure I felt or etc. But at the end of the day, what, is, what, what, did, what did the first verse say? That the words we use, we're going to be held accountable for them. We're going to be judged for those words whether it was a circumstance or not. So somehow we've got to start taking responsibility for, our, for the outcome of our lives. Somebody have said this before, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? I think, I think what that really is more about, it's more about the communication lines and the, the speech and the culture of communication that's going on within that group that you might find yourself within that ends up influencing the user that ends up using the tongue to determine a certain outcome. Some people, you know, when you're in their company, they just talk about certain things. It's like they're, they're in a loop, in a communication loop. They can only talk about that one thing. I don't know about you, but... Uh, um, when somebody comes and uh, they have some form of, of, of health situation that they're constantly dealing with and you come into their environment, the conversation somehow just ends up always going to, okay, so how's the eating plan going? <laughs> have you all experienced that? Or if somebody is, you know, in some form or way going through a hard time, somehow the conversation just ends up going to that that part and so really what we need to do as users of this tool is start becoming aware of the context that we find ourselves in what are the conversations that we're constantly listening to because we are the user of this organ and if we are being influenced then we're going to direct this body in the same direction as what we're being influenced in so what is going on in your bubble 
You know, maybe it's, you know, just if you're young, if you're a teenager, it's like just all the conversation always is just about which boy or girl you're going to date next or, or, or try to date next or who's dating who or, and, and how bad they are and, uh, for that person and why they shouldn't be dating them. And, and everything is just about that. All conversations circle around that. When, when you're living in that kind of bubble, your own conversation and your own speech is going to start becoming about that. And guess what's going to start happening to you internally? All of a sudden, you're going to start thinking that you're missing people that you don't know. Oh, I need a boyfriend. Oh, I also, why is nobody looking at me for, you know, why isn't nobody asking me to be their boyfriend or their girlfriend? It's a complete self-created issue. Before you started talking about this and being in these circles where that was all that was being discussed, you were very happy to just pursue what you were thinking, what you were interested in, but now your environment has influenced you so badly that you don't even worry about what you want to do next Saturday. You're just worrying about what they're going to do next Saturday. Be careful what conversations you align yourself with. What clothes I'm going to buy next, or what jewelry I need to buy next, or what car, what, you know, uh, uh, ad, what, 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 I almost said something really stupid. Um, <laughs> what, uh, that could have that gone south, like, in a heartbeat. Um, uh, or what material thing I'm going to buy next. If you're in an environment where the only conversation is about what I'm going to buy next, or spend my money on next, or where I'm going to go travel to next, then very soon you're going to start going and looking at your car and you're going to go, oh man, this is just not good enough. This is just not good enough. I need to upgrade. Oh man, uh, I, need to, I need to travel more. My life is just so boring. Where just before, you were really actually working with a plan. You had goals. You had you know, perspective about where you want to be and you were happily grafting at that and working that out. Now all of a sudden you're just so discontent. Why and what changed? Probably just the conversations that you immersed yourself in. As users of this organ, we have to realize that we're ultimately responsible for its use and <clears throat> we'll be held accountable for its outcomes how we use it sometimes it's it's just pure complaining you know um just they're always complaining about the in-laws always complaining about you know the ex and what they're doing and it's not that we don't need safe places where we can talk about these matters but it's it's what is the purpose of talking about these matters are we sharing it so that we can we can we can take arrest it. We can take control of it in the spirit, start praying into it and trusting God for outcome in it. Or are we just going off once again about how stupid the government is and how hopeless our situation is and how many people have done me an injustice and how unfair life is to me and how much I've been cheated out of what was due to me and what I was entitled for. What is the conversation like that going to you know, have effect, how is that going to affect your heart? And then, how is it going to affect the use of your tongue? Which, by the way, when your conversation is constantly, constantly surrounded by negativity, what eventually is going to happen is you're going to start using your tongue to echo that. And then your own tongue 
is going to start creating a world of unrighteousness around you, a world of challenge, a world of problems around you. We need healthy, safe places where we can vent, where we can be real, where we can be raw. But those places need to be in such a way designed that we are able to pray over it and then learn to move on from these conversations so that we can start using the power of this small tool to bring us beyond either self-indulgence or self-pity. Bible says bad, corrupt, bad company corrupts good character. Remember that one? So what are you discussing in your social circles? What are you discussing on social media? What dominates the conversation? Is it doom and gloom or is it faith and hope? Has cynicism taken over your speech? Or are you speaking with faith and expectation about what a good God is able and desirous to release into your life? Someone, so, someone said this, small, small minds discuss other people. Mediocre minds discuss things. Great minds discuss ideas. I, I, I want to change it up a little bit. If small minds just discuss people and gr mediocre minds just discuss maybe problems, great minds discuss solutions. Great minds come up with solutions to issues. It does not dwell on the negative side of it. It asks the question, how can we improve this even if it is just a, an, a, an inch? How can we make improvement to this? Here's the thing. Ideas actually rule the world. Ideas rule the world. And, and, and whatever ideas we discuss and we immerse ourselves in become what we start speaking about and what we start declaring over our lives and releasing over our lives and then they start creating our reality they literally create our reality so here's the thing the christian worldview is a set of ideas it's biblically designed and biblically uh, informed ideas that tell us what is true about life it tells us where we come from tells us why we're here, it tells us what our purpose is, and it tells us where we're going, where is this all ending, and it tells us how we know what we know. The five questions, they call it, of, of a worldview. Every view of life has to be, for it to be a complete view of life, has to answer these five questions, right? And so there are plenty of worldviews to, 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 to choose from in life, but, but, but be warned that that worldview is a set of ideas that will start governing and creating your reality. You will start seeing life through the lens of that worldview, and you will think that there's only one way to see it, whereas what you realize is it's just actually a lens that you're looking through. Ideas form the lens that you see reality through. And because you see reality like that, you start experiencing reality emotionally through that lens if my glasses were a little you know uh, um, they're much cleaner now at least you know so my my worldview is a lot more clear <laughs> here today um, but imagine me wearing glasses that were pink right so I'm looking at reality right now and I'm seeing the world for what it is 
Now I put, uh, well, yeah, if you have the little problem with the eye like I have here, it's probably not exactly as it is, but it's close. However, if I put like pink glasses on, y'all all just became pink Martians. <laughs> and you can try and argue to me that you're not a Martian, but my reality proves you wrong. What I don't realize is it's, it's not really proof. It's just a filter that I've put over my eyes. So I'm going to ask you, are you certain that the reality that you see is the reality that God created? The only way that you can clearly see the reality for what it is is if you look through the lenses that come with the instruction manual. You use the lenses that comes with the creator of that reality. And that, my friends, is a biblical view of life. It is the Christian worldview, not because we think we're better, but because it originates with our God. And because He is the creator thereof, His lenses causes us to see clearly. Now, there are other worldviews out there. There's humanistic worldviews. There, there's now postmodernist worldviews. Now you've got, and then you've got all sorts of tribal worldviews. You've got African worldviews. You've got, um, you know, Islamic worldviews. You've got, you've, you've got the atheistic worldview. And they all try to answer these questions of life. Where do we come from? Why are we here? How do we know what we know? Where are we going? And uh, um, is there a reality after this? Uh, they all try to answer those questions. And if you Go and look at the actual answers of these worldviews. Let me tell you, there's one worldview that provides hope. And it's the Christian worldview. There's one worldview that provides beauty and love and grace. And that is the Christian worldview. Any other worldview out there that uses these terms, if you clearly go and look at how they describe what they mean when they say this God is a gracious God you see that it's not true grace it's not true love it's conditional and so you got to learn to to clear up these lenses let me tell you a more recent worldview that have emerged and it's a bit of a subset worldview of the atheistic worldview but it has some some other ideas that literally creates a new reality that people view life through it's called critical race theory it's become a complete new reality now people put on the lenses of this worldview and all of a sudden they view life entirely different all of a sudden they have Different interpretations and different meanings for the same words that we use, but it means an entirely different thing. Why? Because the ideas that have formed this view of life is at times directly opposed to the Christian view of life. They're incompatible. And it's, 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 it's hard to talk about this because how do you convince me that you're not a pink Martian if I'm unaware 
of the lenses that are over my eyes. And that's the problem. The circles we immerse ourselves in, they share these ideas with us. And those ideas become our views, our opinions. We adopt them. And before we know it, we're no longer seeing reality from a Christian worldview. We're looking at it from an atheistic worldview, looking at it from a materialistic worldview. Let me tell you how badly the materialistic worldview, the humanistic worldview has influenced the Christian church. If you're still struggling to submit your will and desire to that of Jesus Christ, you are heavily influenced by the humanistic worldview. If your life does not center around Jesus, his tasks, his agenda, and his way of life, you are viewing life a me-centered humanistic worldview where my success is paramount to any other thing that needs to happen. Let me tell you, all of the coaching industry, all of the, um, uh, what, what do they call these encouraging speeches, you know, these, 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 Motivational speeches, every bit of that is centered around who? You. Why? Because you're worth it. The beauty industry, the, 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 the whole um, uh, new mentality around parenting, it, it's centered around you. Or it's centered around the child. Why? Because we are, we are utmost. We are the most valued part of creation. Our world, Christian worldview in the West especially has so um, badly been watered down by the humanistic worldview that we find it so hard to set aside our own opinions and adopt the Bible's opinions. Let me say this again, I say this often. God's ideas creates God's outcomes. If we follow his way of life, it'll produce a life filled with joy and peace and righteousness. But don't assume that you can sit in church and hold God accountable for not giving you a life of joy and peace and righteousness if you're actually just following a humanistic way and serving it for your own purposes. This thing does not come Unless it is done through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, that's why for us it's so important that we discuss, we discuss biblical views of life outside of our church circles. It's not enough for us to just talk about Christianity when it comes to our spirituality. We actually need to talk about Christianity when it comes to our work, when it comes to every other aspect, our social life, our parenting, everything that we're involved in, there is a Christian way to do that. There are Christian ideas that will make that aspect produce God's outcomes. And we need to break the Christian ideas out of the church world. It needs to boil over, spill over into every area of our lives if we're going to see 
that life that we're hoping God will give us actually manifest in our hearts and lives. And then some of us have, 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 have had broke breakdown. We've had, we've had harm or hurt. And then we're almost, we're almost two steps behind. And so before we will start building constructively, we almost have to first deconstruct the things that went wrong and, 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 then, and then make positive steps toward. And what all helps that is the way I use this tool that I've been given. But if I'm unaware of the fact that this tool is either going to build this new future for me, it will inevitably start breaking it down because our human nature, unfortunately, is not yet fully redeemed. It's not fully changed. Okay? We're redeemed, it's not fully changed into his, into his holy likeness. So, the first action step that I believe comes out of this as an application for us is to, to really press into starting conversations that has eternal value inside and outside the church. Man, I can't wait for somebody to start a life group for business people. I can't wait for somebody to start a life group for their teachers. Start a life group for politicians. Why? Why? Because we need to talk about the Christian ideals within that space. We need to talk about that. If we don't discuss those ideas, we become subject and we fall for every other idea that society and narrative that society is currently trying to push on us. And let me tell you this, that we need to rise high. Okay, I almost jumped ahead of myself, but I caught myself. See how I caught those words? Come on now. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Calling me back to humility. That's called that's called the brother right there. This is why it's really so important to be in a discipleship relationship. Because the the the, the, the purpose of a discipleship relationship is to discuss Christianity in every part of life. I was at a funeral yesterday, and the testimony about the person that passed away was just so incredibly powerful. And the one pastor who shared about him said that what he had learned from this individual was the following. He said, discipleship is not a program. Discipleship is you. And I want to say that, that I believe that full wholeheartedly, that our church does not run discipleship classes, discipleship programs, etc. Our, sh- our church just creates people who are the discipleship process, who are the discipleship class. You are the discipleship class. How people experience you, how they interact with you, how they walk with you, is how we disciple people unto Christ. The closer you grow with Christ, the closer you will help other people come to Christ because you are the discipleship. I am the discipleship program of this church. Don't be expecting the office to make a disciple of anybody. It's not going to happen. We're all called to make disciples. So it's, it's so important that we realize that this is fundamental to the Christian walk. We all desire the idealism of Christianity. We all desire to see what the Bible promised become reality for our lives because it is incredible. But let me tell you, you don't get that until you come in alignment with its ideas and its 
and its way of speaking about reality. That is and will always be our responsibility. So often people try to hold Christianity to account. Or they try to argue for that God is not good or He doesn't even exist. And I said before that bad things happen not because God is not real or God is not good. It happens because He's not welcome. And His ideas are not being accepted. Don't judge God on the performance of the church. Because we as the church is still, we're grappling with how do we fully embody all the ideas of the kingdom of God in our reality. We're still working it out. And so we're going to hit a few and miss a few. So we want to be in places where we are influenced by conversations that are Christ-centered, that are kingdom idea saturated but there's still the problem that in our humanness we will never be able to 100% control this tongue James makes a second warning in James 3 verse 9 he says this with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Highly unlikely. Does a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He says, look, look, you're sitting with a dilemma because you have a tongue that can sometimes act as a double agent. Sometimes this thing turns on you. And if you're not aware of the fact that the tongue has the ability to become a double agent, you will just, you will just, just throw caution to the wind and allow the tongue to just say whatever it wants. Not knowing that it's going to mess up the fresh water that is supposed to be spilling forth from us, the living water that the Bible says when the Holy Spirit is, is fulfill us, it will, springs of living water will, will come from us and flow from us, bringing, like the Bible says in a different analogy in, in, in the Bible, brings healing to the nations, bring healing to people for us and for, for people around us. But if there's a little saltiness in there, come on out, teenagers. We know what it means to become a little salty, right? And how does, that, how, does that, how does that manifest? Well, it does not manifest in you know, constructive speech. Let's just, be, let's just be real here, right? Matthew 12 verse 33 says this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Jesus is addressing the religion who think that they always do things right, right? Self-righteous. And he says to them, "How you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? See, because their confession actually causes them to live a different way from what they're supposed to live and what they're expected to live. It says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then he says in verse 35, but the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good 
The evil out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So what are you bringing forth and what is that saying about your heart? And are you aware of the fact that your tongue sometimes tells on you? Here's how it, another way how it happens. So often, my wife will attest to this, we pray with people. And then we guide people in prayer because so often people don't know how to pray. And that's okay because Jesus' disciples also asked him, how do we pray? And he was in no uncertain terms, you know, um, glad to, to, to share with them how do we pray. So we'll often lead people in prayer. Let me, let me lead you in prayer. And so we will have them pray prayers that are biblically based, that are scriptural. But so often in the conversation after we said amen, they start contradicting what they had just prayed. So we'll pray. Father, um, I wrote an I wrote a, wrote a, a, a example down here. You are my provider. I trust in you. You know, we, we, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a prayer based on a promise in Scripture. And then the next conversation, they'll be like, oh, but I don't know if this is, I don't know how it's going to work out. You know, I'm going to have to leave my house now. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to do something. And the conversation, what we don't realize is, is that's not innocent. It's your flesh that is literally at war with your spirit in that moment. You just declared the goodness of God over your life. You just released life and power over your circumstances through your prayer. And the very next breath you say, this is not going to work. Your tongue is a double agent. Be careful. Because you're, you're and, then you, and later on you go, but didn't I pray for this? But we don't recognize and we don't admit <laughs> that, yes, I prayed, but I also canceled out my prayer in the very next breath. No, we won't, re- we won't admit that. <laughs> we, we're just going, oh, Lord, the problem is you. You're not answering prayer. Because the I, problem can't be me because I'm perfect. <laughs> In practice, that's what we're saying. The perfect becomes the one that makes the error. The imperfect couldn't have been me. Our tongues tell on us, y'all. It's a little, it's a little snitch. I had to dig deep for that word, okay? That came from like prison break. A prison break is so old, nobody's laughing. It's just the old people laughing. <laughs> here's, a, here's another thing that the tongue reveals. The tongue reveals that we're actually fighting in our own strength. In the one moment you say something of the word of God over your life, and the next minute you say, that's not going to work. I'm going to have to get this in my own strength. I'm going to have to do this my own way. I'm going to have to fix this myself. We need to check our confessions. I bet sometimes Satan just stands back and he watches this self-battle that's going on in our lives. It's like, 
the minute we, we start praying something, he like, he's, he's like taking notice, and then he goes, oh, never mind. <laughs> That's dealt with. They already, they already canceled out everything what they just said they believed by declaring that they're really not believing it. I think Satan don't mind the prayers that we pray. He minds the prayers that we live by. Don't let your tongue become a double agent. Action step that I believe we need to do is we really need to start checking ourselves for self-contradiction. Check yourself for self-contradiction. Third and last point I think James is trying to make here today is that the tongue really is difficult to control. But your best chance at controlling the tongue is to direct it. Is to give it direction. Is to, is to employ it. To put a purpose on it. It's like when you're, when you're taking uh, animals and you want it to f- perform a purpose. Either plow or pull a cart or something. You, 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 put, a, you put a yoke on it. Right? And you bind them together so that they can't all pull in the direction that they figure they want to go. Now their strength is harnessed and the rider can direct it and it can fulfill the purpose and it can create something. It can lead to something good. That yoke that we place on our tongue, that needs to be the word of God. That needs to be the ideas of God. It means it restricts me from just going off in any direction with my opinions, with my statements. When I find myself wanting to say something cynical or something negative, I need to catch myself. No, 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 no. I am yoked. I am employed. I am purposed. This tongue will speak life. It will speak the word of God. It will speak the purposes of God over my life. And I'm not going to allow any other viewpoints and ideas to start reinterpreting life for me. I'm going to employ God's ideas to form my logic, to form my reason, and therefore to make my opinions from there and to, and, and to declare my, my, you know, my intentions and, and how I ex- my expectations for what I believe life should produce. James, the last, the last section of James uh, 3, 13 to, 16, uh, says of, uh, to 18 says the following, Who is wise among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James starts talking about wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, talked about those conversations that you know we're, 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 we're surrounding ourselves with. If you have all of these opinions running around you, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Be careful what your tongue starts declaring. This is not wisdom that comes from above. If you're either um, boasting in self-exaltation or if you're wallowing in self-pity, don't speak from that area. Because that wisdom that you're gaining is not from above. The perspectives that you're gaining is not from above. And I hope you all realize that I'm speaking to the typical sources of wisdom that we're getting in the United States. As Christians, we need to rise to a higher plane of gaining wisdom. Let me tell you this, CNN or Fox News is not your source of wisdom of how to interpret your life. 
We've got to learn how to rise above the interpretations of these humanistic views of how things ought to be. And start discussing the true source of wisdom and how that relates to my opinions and my hopes and my future and my, you know, my direction that I have. If those places are your source of interpretation, and, and let me just say this to you. I listen to both sides of these, you know, of these um, uh, s- you know, sources, news outlets. And you know what is the weird thing that I, that I see from both of them? is how they interpret things. How they interpret things. It's interesting. You'll get a tweet and it'll say, oh, this person just lost their mind and this person just melted down because of somebody that somebody said. I go and listen to the clip and I think to myself, that wasn't a meltdown. That person actually spoke somewhat astutely their opinion in contrary to this. Were they passionate? Maybe. Did they lose their minds? No. So I'm like, all right, so this guy's, his interpretation of how things are happening is obviously different from how I view reality. Let me, let me get that guy out of my feed. Then I go to this person. Oh, they're, you know, they're this kind of thing and that kind of thing, and they're, and, you know, they're just like fear-mongering and da-da-da-da, and I go and I, I listen to that, and I'm like, no, that was pretty factual. Nothing over the top with that. Let me get that person out of my feed. Let me surround myself with voices, online voices, that speak from a, from a, a biblical perspective. Y'all, we need this. If anybody's going to make this country move forward, it is Christians who are able to live from a higher source of wisdom than what the rest of this, the population is living from. So we have to employ our tongues. Let me tell you, who's the boss of your tongue? James starts talking about wisdom and he starts arguing for the fact that we have to recognize that often we have these these wrong ambitions that are becoming the directors, the steerers, the pilots of how we use our tongues. And, 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 and it starts informing us on where the country's going and how our lives are going to go and just how my relationship with my in-laws are going to go or how my relationship with my kids are going to go. James is saying, if you don't let God's ideas, God's wisdom uh, uh, God's ideas form your wisdom. Your tongue will continue to get you in a world of trouble. But if we submit the control of this bit, the control of that steering wheel that, that, that leads the rudder that, that, that guides that ship, if we submit control of the tongue to God, it can lead to amazing things. Listen to this, Matthew 12 again. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Think about this. People will give account for every careless word they speak. That's rough. That's scary. Thank God for grace for those of us who have been redeemed and covered by the blood will be exempted from the 
the, 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 the final outcome of that. But, verse 37 says, it's by your words that you be justified and by your words that you be condemned. What's he saying? He says, your words can first lead to eternal life. And then it can lead to life until death. It's beautiful. You don't have to wait for afterlife to have life. Your words can actually create life for you now. But sometimes we just forget about that. We forget about the fact that there is a, there is a, a period now between now and the day we go home that we're going to either experience hell on earth or we're going to have some, at least some of heaven on earth. And it's determined by your confession. Both are determined by your confession. Your confession will lead to life after death. But until then, God wants for it to lead to life until death. For you to live abundantly, experiencing the realities of the kingdom of God this side of eternity already. But it becomes a factor of your use of this organ. How are you using this? Romans 10, 9, because with your mouth you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. This happens in a moment, but then the rest of our lives lie ahead that we need to continue to create the life that he wants for us. And we do that through also through our confession, through speaking his ideals, through, through coming into agreement with his words. James 1 verse 6 says the following. But let him who asks, ask in faith, not doubting. Because let not the one who doubts suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. See how important it is that we, that we don't cancel out what we had just prayed, what we had just said. The last two verses, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. It's one of the things I find that if you go to the extremes of our, of our current day's wisdom, nobody's open to reason anymore. Nobody's open to meeting each other and discussing. We all want to talk about each other, but we dare not talk to each other. The wisdom that is from above causes us to use this tool to stop talking and gossiping about each other and to actually come and sit around the table and talk to each other. And then it says in verse 18, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this can be a different world. You can have the effect of, have, of creating peace, life, harmony around you. If you learn how to employ this and direct it to God's purposes.
The type of wisdom and speech that governs my life literally is displayed by my actions. Coming back to what we said last week, our faith cannot just be something that we say. It has to result in in, in an outward living of it for it to really be real. And because our ideas result in actions and activities that are informed by those ideas, it will result in me interacting either in a way that destructs or a way that builds around me. And as His words are echoed through our words, (laughs) y'all listen, (laughs) if we can just grasp this, as we echo His words, His creative power is released into our situations, into our lives. And it will create the harvest of righteousness, peace, and joy that is promised for those who live in the kingdom of God in our lives. Third thing I believe God wants us to do here is that we need to submit our speech to His Lordship. Submit our speech to His Lordship. It's not just a random saying. It's not just an innocent opinion. That opinion will literally direct your life in the direction and create an outcome in line with that direction. Don't think it's innocent. It's not. But realize the potential it has to heal. Realize the potential it has to create. And start employing it in your life. This morning I was speaking to one of my kids. And I said to her, don't you ever talk down on yourself. Oh, I don't like my nose. Listen, y'all. There are 7.5 billion different noses on this planet. They're going to look different from the other. Love yourself through your words. Stop talking down on you. Stop praying, Lord, heal my insecurity. And then go and go, oh, I hate this part of me. You're canceling out the effect that the Word of God, I was created in God's image. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh my goodness. I hate my hips. What is it then? Are you fearfully and wonderfully made or do you have ugly hips? Because it can't be both. on yourself build yourself up through accepting God's ideas about you and start speaking them about you we become irritated with the people who goes oh my favor and blessed to the Lord 
But you know what? Those people have created a reality through their confession that puts them in a place of contentment and a place to receive and expect the goodness of God to manifest in their lives. So you can be in self-pity or you can design for yourself a less irritable statement akin to, I'm highly favored and blessed of the Lord. But you choose the outcome. Because you are the one that needs to take responsibility of this too. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you released your word unto us and it saved us from hell. (laughs) Lord, we pray that we will also receive your word to save us from us, to save us from our own stupidity, to save us from our own ignorance. Father, let your word be embedded and your ideas be embedded so deeply within our hearts and psyche that whatever something bubbles up and comes out, it is the pure word of God that is being released into our reality. Lord, we commit today to take responsibility of our confession. Father, thank you that we are saved by our confession. Thank you that our confession lead, led to us having life after death. But Lord, I pray that you will help us with our tongues to create life until death, until we get to you, until we get to that place that our tongues might be constructively building, not just our lives, but those around us, Father. That we might start creating your reality, your perspective of reality, once again in our hearts. So we might see you, your goodness, the potential and the opportunity for your will and way to come into our reality and heal, unify our hearts and minds with one another. I believe this starts with only one thing. If, you, if you've not made that confession, if your mouth has not said, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and I submit my life to His leadership, that everything else here becomes unattainable because you have not submitted your heart to His Lordship yet. I'm talking to you right now and you're ready to take that step and say, Jesus, I will start following you and your ideas and submit my ideas to be corrected by you and led by you and you want to do that today right there where you are right there where you are I want you to acknowledge this before the Lord Jesus you are going to be my Lord from now on you take this challenge home with you if you if you're scared to admit that right now but Let me tell you that before this, nothing else happens. And it's an open invitation to anybody. You don't need us. You don't need here. You can do it in your home, in your car, wherever you go, but it needs to be done. He needs to hear your lips and your tongue say, 
Jesus, I can't save myself. I'm asking you to save me. And then I submit to your leadership in my life. Let's all pray together. Father, we just take this moment into consideration, Lord. Lord, I pray that everybody whose hearts are in turmoil right now, just knowing that you're speaking to them and they need to respond, but they're for some reason afraid to do it, maybe publicly or, or whatever the case may be, but Father, that you would not let them go, that you would walk out here with them. And help them today to come to that conclusion and to make that commitment of faith and submission to your leadership. I pray that you will show them, Father, and shower them with your peace and with your joy when they do that. That they might know that you're cleansing them and you're repositioning them in your kingdom as a child that will grow to rebuild their lives into your likeness and what you desired for them. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.